0: Now Podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist TJ Malcanji. Welcome to the broadcast, what you just witnessed. I played that video at the onset of this broadcast because of uh, today's topic on um, soul winning and evangelism by fire. You just witnessed... One of the greatest evangelists to ever walk on this planet called Earth. His name was Reinhard Bonnke. He passed away, I believe, last year or the year before at 79 years old. He had led 79 million uh, souls to the Lord Jesus Christ in his lifetime. I think from the years 1999 to 2009, just in those years, there was like 40 or 50 million decisions for Christ in his ministry throughout Africa, from Nigeria to Burkino Faso, uh, all across Africa, Ghana, and God mightily used that man of God, not because he was something special, not because he was, uh, you know, some some angel on the earth, he wasn't Elijah reincarnate, what he had was a burden for his generation, and that's why God uh, called him and, and and used him mightily, because he was His eligibility was not based on his ability. His eligibility was based on his willingness to go. And the master is still calling. The master is still bidding people that belong to his body to go ye therefore into all the world. And I believe that's why the grace of God has drawn you to this broadcast today. The time is at hand. The days are getting shorter and shorter. The return of Jesus Christ is nigh, and the harvest is larger than it has ever been. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. Man, if I'm coming out hot, it's because that video fires me up. That video puts a fire in my bones to see the greatest display of God's power in our generation. If God can use a man from Germany who had no ability to speak, he was like a stammerer. He did not have eloquence of speech, if God can use someone like that to be, be used as his mouthpiece for that generation that he lived in and reach the untold millions for Christ, then I tell you, quit using excuses as to why God can't use you and start to look at the examples of Scripture and the examples of, I'm, of what I'm playing right now. The, the, the evangelist Reinhard Bonke, the evangelist uh, Billy Graham that I have all his, most of his books lined up behind me. Uh, those men that were not special people, but they submitted to the will of God. And as such, they did what no eye was able to do, what no eye was able to see, what no ear was able to hear, what nobody had ever conceived in their hearts, God did through them because they were yielded. If you're just tuning in now, please share this broadcast. Today's mission is for mobilization. Today's mission is to mobilize people into the harvest. Jesus said the harvest truly is planted too many people and christians are blaming the harvest and that's why we're not seeing souls come in jesus never blamed the harvest jesus never complained about the harvest jesus never sat down and got bitter towards the harvest he always issued his or his complaints towards the religious the ones that were preventing mobilization for the harvest but his complaint his problem was never with the harvest he always said the harvest is not hard of hearing the heart it's the religious that he's the religious people in the religious crowd that he said they were hard of heart and blind so that they could not see and hard of heart so that they never received the gospel but the harvest he said is willing and ready it's truly plentiful and the problem isn't the harvest the problem is that there are too few laborers that have been sent out into this harvest field and that's why God drew you to this broadcast enough is enough the devil's not going to get a say uh, as to the course this generation takes the Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. No part of this planet called Earth, no soul that lives on this earth belongs to Satan. As long as the church is here, that soul is in the balances. It's in the balances. And as long as they remain untold, the gospel holds no power at all unless it is spoken and preached. The gospel is no gospel at all unless it is told, unless it is shared, unless it is delivered to the multitudes. Jesus did not waste his time praying for souls to come into the kingdom and then do nothing about it. He prayed. He fasted. He went 40 days to do that. But then this beginning of signs did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and he began to manifest his his glory to his disciples. He began to preach, saying the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe. And as people came to him, the sick were healed, the dead were raised, the lepers were cleansed, the gospel was preached to the poor, those that were bound by demon spirits were set free, the captives were delivered, the oppressed were released, the favorable year of the Lord was preached, the lost were found, the dead were raised, and God's glory was manifest on the earth. That's what God is about to do in this present day age. God did not reserve the best for when Jesus was walking the shores of Galilee. God has reserved the best for these last days. The Bible says that um, when Jesus turned the water into wine, the master of the feast says, no man brings out the best wine last. They always put the best wine first. Uh, so that when the guests have freely drunk and and drank enough wine, they'll then deliver the worst wine, the less quality wine. But you have saved the best for last. God has reserved the best for last. We are God's uh, mighty navy seals reserved here for these last days. God knew at what time he would place you on this earth. He knew he wasn't putting you here to be a coward and to cower in fear and to shrink back in shame and just, you know, wave our hands at God and say, well, Lord, we don't know what to do. I guess you said in the last days, That many will depart from the faith and we're just going to sit here and just be rapture ready and attend church and be nice little church boys and church girls and behave wisely until you come. That's not why God placed you on this earth. You were born for such a time as this. You were placed on this earth strategically in this day, in this age. Acts chapter 2. In the last day, says God, I will pour forth of my spirit on all flesh, and young men shall rise up, young women shall rise up, and they shall prophesy. They'll prophesy like Ezekiel prophesied. Yes, the dry bones are real. Yes, things look like they're not improving. However, if there's just one who has the word of the Lord in his mouth and will believe it to the point of prophesying to their generation and stop carrying away just staying in the prayer closet, Start coming out of the closet and start declaring this gospel that Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and declare to the dry bones through crusades and mass evangelism and personal evangelism we're going to see the raising up of the dry bones coming together one to one, the sinews and the flesh restoring, and an exceedingly great army shall arise. The devil, we are not going out like shy cats beating down. Uh, pray that the enemy's just had his way with. And then Jesus is coming to rescue us from this. No, we are going out. He's coming back for a bride that is spotless, that is glorious, that is strong, and that is powerful. And you're a part of that bride in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're just tuning in now, please share this broadcast. And we're going to raise up an army today. I want to go through very quickly seven reasons why you must be a soul winner. But before I do that, I want to read out of Romans chapter 10 and beginning with verse 6. Romans chapter 10 and verse 6. The Bible says, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. So Paul is saying, don't say, Lord, we need you to come back and deal with this. He's saying, don't say in your heart who will bring Christ down from above. Don't relegate the responsibility of saving our generation from hell to to God, to, to Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of God. No, he is the head. We are his body. The head cannot function apart from its body. You decapitate me, and I'm no good to anybody. The head must connect to the body, and the head sends signals out to the body as to what to do, how to get it done. Don't say in your heart, who will bring Christ down from above or who will ascend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. That's like Paul saying, don't live as if Jesus didn't rise from the dead either. Live in light of A, he's risen from the dead, and then B, he's given you power to win this world to him before it's eternally too late. Verse 8, what does it say? The word is near you, in your heart, and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Do you know what that tells you? Nobody's too far gone. Nobody is too far gone for Jesus to save. Everybody is somebody to Jesus. Everybody. It doesn't matter if you're in the crack house or the whore house or or in uh, the White House. It absolutely does not matter. Nobody is too far. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, Christ's blood has drawn near those who were far off. By the blood of Jesus Christ, he came to preach peace to those who were near and to those who were far off. That means no matter what people have done in their past no matter their background no matter their race no matter where they come from no matter if they grew up poor or they grew up rich no matter if they grew up free or they grew up as slaves it doesn't matter if they grew up as a as a a, a con man or a nice little church boy everybody fell short of the glory of God. Everybody has fallen short of God's standards and as such needed a reconciliation with God and that reconciliation came through Jesus Christ and the same grace that extends to those who grew up in church but haven't been born again but then all of a sudden they actually their eyes are open and they're no longer just church attendees but something happens in their heart where they're born again. Those ones who were near the same grace extended to them is the same grace that reaches down deep into the horrible pits of sin and raises people up to place them on the rock, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Why you must be a soul winner. Let's continue on. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich unto all who call upon him. God's not making duck. He's not playing duck, duck, damned. He's not going around the circle and he's choosing some and others. He's like, no, you're going to hell. I actually didn't send Jesus for you. God so loved the whole world. He makes no distinction. Everybody has value and is priceless in the sight of God. You wanna know how I know that? Because the Bible says that God did not spare His own Son, but He delivered Him up for us all, for everybody. Not for a select few, not for the religious zealots, not for those that are bent towards good, no. We all, our righteousness, our good days, the days where we feel like we've done everything right, Even those days, the Bible says, our righteousness is as filthy rags, which if you go into the original language, it's not pretty what God's actually trying to say. A filthy, bloody rag. So people that think, well, you know what? I give to charity. That's not gonna get you into heaven. Well, you know, I do a lot of good deeds at the church. I even volunteer at the local uh, soup kitchen. That's not good enough to get you into heaven. The Bible says, if God should mark our iniquity, if he should take note of our sins, who can stand before him? The Bible says, if we cover our sins, We will never prosper. Only those that forsake, repent, and confess them shall have mercy. The scripture says, who can say I am clean from my sin? Who can say I am pure from all motives and deeds? None but those that have been washed by the blood. The Bible says in Isaiah, I come those come those who are in sin, and I will reason with you. Though your sins are red as scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I'll make them as white as wool. The Bible says, We together had become corrupt. There was none who does good. The Bible says, In Psalms, we in, in the book of Psalms, we had for um together been like sheep that have gone astray. In Isaiah, it says that we've uh, altogether, there was no one who did good. There was no one who sought after God. There was no one who was reaching to God. That's why the gospel is not us reaching to God. The gospel is God reaching to us, and us gra- us grabbing that hand of grace and being reconnected to him. That's why the Bible says when Jesus was on that cross, he had his hand stretched out across that wooden beam. One hand was stretched towards God, the other hand was stretched towards you and I. Those who forsake and reject that hand of grace, there's an eternal hell waiting for them. But to those that do believe, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That's why I'm passionate about this. Stop focusing on harvests that aren't interested in what you have to hear. Stop focusing on that one person that you've been preaching to for the last 40 years and they're not interested. Jesus even said, Kick the dust off your feet and go to the next town. There's too many people that are hungry and hurting and deprived and are ready to receive Jesus Christ, to focus and um, direct our efforts and resources towards those who are overfed goats sitting in the church. It's about time we start to direct our energy, our resources, our time. Jesus said, which of you, if he has 99 sheep but loses one, he'll leave the 91 and go after the one. We have an overfed church. Everything in North American church is all about me. How can I be blessed? How can I get better? How can I gain advantage? How can I be promoted? And those things are not bad. I preach the blessing. I preach healing. I preach the blessing of God. I preach promotion on uh, by, by God. I do all those things. I talk about uh, how God wants to increase you and multiply you and make you great on the earth but the bible says it's so that we can be a blessing there has to come a point in your christianity where your 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 focus is directed away from self and your concern is now for the well-being and welfare and salvation of others if you are un Unconcerned of the salvation of others, I wonder if you are saved yourself. If you never wake up and wonder, man, there are co-workers that are going to hell. There are there's family members I've never reached out to. If you never had that epiphany, then you have to check whether you're even born again. Because one of the fruits of being, the main fruits of being born again, the main manifested expression of our reborn-again nature is our undying, relentless passion to see others saved with the same grace and power that we've been set free. uh, We've been set free by. That's why the John chapter four, you see Jesus go to a Samaritan woman and he preaches to her. She ends up getting so excited because she tasted of the water of everlasting life. She runs into her own town. She couldn't keep it. To, when I got saved, and that hasn't died out. There's a lot of people who, when you first got saved, you had this passion. You had this desire to, to, to like just go into the marketplace and let it rip, tell everybody about Jesus. But somewhere down the line, you started to get into religion and tradition, and you saw other lukewarm Christians not doing any of that, so you lowered your thermostat, to match the lukewarmness of the north american church and as a result you haven't won a soul since those days that's not the will of god you're not supposed to wean down you know a lot of people say well when you first get saved that love is fiery and hot and uh, but don't expect that to stay on forever there's going to be a day where that love's going to mature into something else no if that love matures into something else i don't want the maturity of something else i want that's why hallelujah that's why jesus said in revelation chapter 2 to the ephesian church i know you're." ditch I know that you don't even tolerate false apostles. You've exposed them. I know you live according to my word. You live holy. But I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. You've left that first love. You've left that first passion. You've left that first desire, that eagerness, that burning uh, and that casual, that zeal to see others saved. but I tell you now, repent, do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to remove the lampstand. Soul winning is not an option for a believer. It's not something we just do we have nothing else to do. It's not a minor program on the on the list of programs the church is called to do. It is the main program. Jesus' first command was what? I, what did he tell Peter? After he multiplied the fish in his boat in luke chapter 5 he said if you'll follow me i'm gonna turn you into a fisher of men no longer are you gonna fish fish i'm gonna turn you into a fisher of men and then Jesus' last command before he departed and gravity lost hold of him was go ye therefore into all the world and preach this gospel to every creature preach it because if they don't hear it this is what happens verse 14 how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed How can they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear if there is no preacher? Why do you think God raises preachers up? So that we can be entertained in church? so I can be a little more charismatic and I, I'm more of your cup of tea so we can have divisions. Well, I, I actually like listening to this preacher over that preacher. I like, you think that's why God raised up preachers? So we can have different sectarianism in the church based on our style of preaching? Oh, he, he yells a little too much. Oh, he whispers too much. I don't care if you yell or you whisper. If you're winning souls, you're my family. You're my kind of person. Did Jesus raise up preachers for our entertainment? So we can have... Something to listen to on our way to heaven? No. Ephesians 4 says, God gave gifts to the church. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. For what? For the edification of the church, for the the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The equipping. Preachers are to equip people to know how to do the work of the ministry what's the work of the ministry glad you asked paul said in first timothy he told timothy endure afflictions be watchful in all things do the work of an evangelist so as to fulfill your ministry the work of evangelism is the fulfillment of the ministry we have each received from the lord how shall they believe unless they Unless they hear the word. And how can they hear unless there be someone that tells them? And how shall there be a preacher unless he is sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. But they've not all obeyed my report or my gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is what the Word of God says, beginning with verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to God, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. How many of you know we're all saved by grace and not by works, so we don't have to do anything in life. We just got to sit on our blessed assurance and just wait for the trumpet to sound. That's not what the Bible says here. The Bible says that you are not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. But when that faith is genuine, it naturally produces works. One of those works being an undying fervor for lost souls and humanity. And the Bible says we're going to have a judgment. Well, how many of you know we've escaped judgment? We're not going to be judged by God. We're not going to be at the judgment seat, the white throne judgment. We're not going to sit at... Um, the, we're not going to be at the judgment seat the world's going to be it that didn't accept Christ, that rejected the Messiah. But there is another judgment seat for the believer. That judgment seat is the the judgment seat of Christ, where we will all give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. That's why Jesus tells the parable in Matthew chapter 25. He gives out 10 talents to one, to another, he gave, uh, he gave out five talents, sorry. He gave out to another two talents and to one, he gave one talent, each according to their own ability. When he left on his journey, he let them trade, and they let the Bible says he charged them to gain by trading. So fruitfulness in this area of soul winning is not an option. It's not um, a, a hobby for a select few. This is a demand. It's a requirement. It is a command of Scripture. It is something God's going to hold us accountable to at the end of de- at the end of time. Jesus returns to those servants. The five man who had five talents appears before him, and he says, "Master, I've brought you five more talents besides the talents you gave me originally. Here's what I've done." Jesus said, uh, enter into the joy of the Lord because you've been faithful in the little, you're going to have rule over much. The one who had the two talents came and said, you gave me two talents. I came out and I brought you two more talents. Jesus said the same thing to him. You've been faithful in the little, now enjoy much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The one who had the one talent, he took what he had and he went and buried it into the ground and he hid it. And when the master returned, he demanded an account. Of what he had given him. What he had made him responsible over. And what did that man do? Here's your one talent. I did nothing with it. What did Jesus do? Oh, well, I didn't expect you to do much. That's why I gave you one talent. No. Oh, well, you know what? You you had a nine to five job. You had a nine to six job. You worked two jobs on weekends. So you know what? I'm going to cut you some slack. That's... I'm not... Uh, I... I If you're an accountant, you're not an accountant first and then a Christian if the accounting stuff gets dealt with. If you're a a bricklayer, you're not a bricklayer first. If you're a singer, you're not a singer first. You are primarily a Christian. Your identity is with Christ first and foremost. Your allegiance is to Christ. That's why Jesus said people store up riches on earth. They work nine to five. They work nine to six, nine to seven, nine to eight. They burn themselves up so that they can store up a small treasure, a small riches for retirement so that they can live off the last 15, 20 20 years. In uh, on earth, in leisure, in luxury, and in rest and comfort, just like that parable of the man who had had an unprecedented amount of crops come in one year. The Bible says, he said, man, I have so much crops. What am I going to do? I'm going to burn down my barns. I'm going to build greater barns. And I'm going to say to my soul, soul, take ease, eat, drink, be merry, enjoy life. For for, we have many goods laid up for many days. God appeared to him in a dream one night and said, you fool, this very night you're going to die. Then whose goods will those things be? Which you have eagerly worked after to obtain. Jesus said, don't work to store up treasures here on earth. Work to store up treasure in heaven. How do you store up treasure in heaven? The only thing that's gonna matter a 100 years from now, the only thing that's gonna matter 500 years from now, A 100 million years from now in eternity, is not the car you drove. It's not the building and house you lived in. It's not the job you had. It's not the people and connections you had. You're not gonna care about those things. The only thing that's gonna matter is the souls you brought to heaven that you're going to spend time with in eternity. It's the people you brought to Jesus' feet in repentance and faith. It's the people you shared the gospel to so that they wouldn't have to spend an eternity in hell fire. But rather their eyes and their ears and their hearts can be turned towards God in salvation. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. So what happened to that man with the one talent? He did not He did not know the terror of the Lord. He didn't know what was coming. He thought, well, you know what? At least if I bring him back what he gave me, then the master will be satisfied. What did What did the master do? You wicked and unprofitable servant. I want you to write in the comment section, God requires fruit from me. God requires fruit from my life. God requires fruit from my life. God requires fruit from my life. Fruitlessness is an abomination to the Lord. As if the Great Commission, if you don't obey that, it's less of a sin than anything else. Well, you know what? That's what <laughs> thats what Jesus told the rich young ruler. He came up to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to, be, to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you have to keep the commandments. And he said, well, I've kept the ones I know from youth. I've kept, I've not stolen from anyone. I don't commit adultery. I have obeyed my parents. I have not borne false witness towards anybody. I'm a truthful, honest guy. I have integrity. Jesus looked at him and said, one thing is needed. One thing you're lacking. Go and sell everything you have and follow me. You're not sold out. You're like a 98% Christian. 98% is 0% in the eyes of God. You have to be sold out by the truth and sell it not. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who upon finding a pearl of great price, he goes and buries it in a field. He comes back to his house, sells everything that he has, and goes and buys that field so he can have that pearl and rejoice in that pearl. Go and sell everything you have. Sell your whole life. Forget your reputation. Deny yourself. Pick up Jesus said it. If you desire to come after me, yes, you're gonna be blessed. Yes, you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna have strength and vitality. Yes, God's gonna heal. Yes, all those blessings come. But when you pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow me, that's when the blessing kicks in. Soul winning is the cheapest access to most of the things people pray about. When you'll find out there's a group of people on the earth that before they even call, God's ready to answer. God God is performing on their behalf. Psalm 91, because you have set your love on me, God said, I will now deliver you in trouble. And with long life, I'll satisfy. You don't even have to ask. I will deliver you in trouble. While the wicked are yet setting up their traps, I've already got a plan to wipe them out. That is reserved for a group of people who have set their love on God. How do you set your love on God? Jesus told Peter, Jesus, uh, Peter, do you love me? Peter looked at Jesus. Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then go after my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you ask me again. I, you know I love you. Then tend to my flock. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, how many times do I have to answer you? You know all things. You know my heart is after you. Well, then go after souls. Leave the 99 and go after the one. The proof, the sincerity, the litmus test of your love towards God. What proves the authenticity of your love is your desire to go after the harvest. Jesus said, don't say in your heart, there are four months and then comes comes the harvest. Don't delay. The greatest enemy of evangelism in anybody's life and in church today is procrastination, the demon of procrastination. Well, we'll do a crusade next year. Why wait next year? You know, there are some churches that I can lame and I won't. Because I'm not rude but there are some churches that I could name that they're more interested in their Christmas theater and plays and dramas and their nice production Christmas um, productions that they have going on than winning the loss in Crusades there are some churches who have never done a crusade but yet they've done a thousand dramas and and, and uh you know 500 different dance plays and dance recitals and rallies and all that. Never, never concern themselves with with an actual taking a net out and going after the fish. They're preoccupied by entertainment. Entertainment is the greatest idol in the Church of America today. I'm convinced by that. There are people that if they attend a church that a message is preached like this, they will take their tithe, their offering, and their children and families and beeline it out the door. And my response to them is, go, leave. And don't come back until you've had a change of heart. There's no room for people like that. They're self-serving. The Bible says in the last days, their gods will be their appetite. Only interested in me. But I know that's not like you because you would have X'd out of this a long time ago. You are part of, like I said before, the Navy Seals of Heaven. A special Navy Seal seal team six of heaven that God has reserved for this last period of time to call men who are in darkness into his marvelous light before it's eternally too late. God is lifting you up. God is waking up the sleeper cell in you to go after work while it is yet day to go after the harvest until before night has come and no man can work in Jesus name. If that's you, if you're ready, to do that. If you're enlisting into the army of God today, no longer desiring to be entangled with the cares of this life, with the desire of riches, with the desire for other things, but rather you're knitting yourself to God's eternal purpose here on the earth. I want you to put the hands up emojis, put the uh, fire emojis, put whatever emojis you know what to do and give God a mighty praise. Let me read through or else we're never going to get through the seven points. For we do not commend ourselves against you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf. Hallelujah. That you might have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we're of sound mind, it's for you. Paul's saying, if I look crazy, it's because I'm doing it for God. If I look foolish, that's why Paul said, the foolishness of the message preached. It's foolishness to the Jews because it provides a stumbling block because you're telling them that their Messiah was crucified and killed. That's not the picture they had of their Messiah. It's a stumbling block to the Greeks because it's not intellectual to think that Jesus rose from the dead. But it is the power of God to those whose eyes have been opened. Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood cannot give you this revelation. Only my Father who is in heaven, Jesus said in John chapter six, those who have been given to me by my Father they shall come to me and the one who comes to me will not be cast out the bible says this reason no man can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them in god is drawing people here on the earth that's those are the ones we have to fix our efforts on not the ones who scorn, not the ones who mock not the ones who spit and mock not the ones who set us aside not the ones who think we're crazy we preach to them but my opinion i think it's Oswald j smith that said no human being deserves the right or privilege to hear the gospel twice while most of the world has not even heard it once. I'll say that again. No human being has the right and privilege to hear the gospel twice when most of the world has not even heard it once. There is a people, even in America and Canada today, probably the first generation since the inauguration and the um, of the United States of America and of Canada, the nations since their rising, since their birth, I believe this is the first generation in North America that has no clue who Jesus is. They think they do. They've been taught in their humanity courses as to who Jesus was, his history. He was a teacher. He declared himself to be the Son of God. But they have not been, most people, the majority of people have not been exposed to gospel preaching, to the anointed forceful proclamation of the charisma, the gospel. And that's why you're seeing what we're seeing now. Jo- Judges 2.10, another generation rose up that did not know the Lord, nor the works that he had done for Israel. In the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, they saw the tent evangelists. They saw, they witnessed Oral Roberts and the healings that were manifest in his meetings. They saw Billy Graham packing out crusade stadiums and lives being transformed at a, at a high rate of conversion. They saw Teal Osborne doing these mass crusades overseas with them passing um, wheelchairs from the back to the front, as people were getting healed, miracles popping like popcorn all across the field. They saw R.W. Schambach doing tent crusades. The, the news of that day, they would actually report the news. Imagine that. They would report revivals. They would report when dead people were rising. You know that there's a city in uh, in Illinois called Zion, Illinois. John Alexander Dowie um, actually was the founder of that city. He was a preacher, and he had the revelation of acts 10:38. no doubt you know jesus christ of nazareth whom god anointed with the holy ghost and power who went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil he took that literally imagine when people start taking the bible literally and le- instead of trying to find an inter- interpretation that suits and explains their lack of power he took it literally and he went and established a church in zion illinois and um They actually declared Zion, Illinois in his day and even after his death, they declared Zion, Illinois, the healthiest city in America because John Alexander Dowie, when he read Matthew 9, uh, 36, I believe it is, that Jesus went about in all the cities and villages preaching the gospel, teaching in their synagogues, healing all that were oppressed by the devil, healing every sickness and healing every disease amongst the people, he Then read in John 20 where it says, As the Father sent me, now I send you. So he took that. Well, if Jesus was sent by the Father and he went to teach and preach and heal every sickness and every disease, and now Jesus said, As the Father sent me with the same purpose and the same express mission that now he's sending me, then I'm going to go heal every sickness and I'm going to go heal every disease. And so they declared, the news report declared Zion, Illinois, the healthiest city in America. He had uh, zion healing homes across the city where it wasn't just john alexander this you know deified man that was going around no he told the people the same power that's in me is in you and so he mobilized like i'm trying to do right now mobilize regular folks regular congregation members people that just believed To go and set up healing homes in their own respective homes. And it came to pass, anyone that came into those healing homes were healed of whatever disease they had. God is looking to do that again here on the earth. But he's looking for people that will say, not Lord, I'm able, but Lord, I'm willing. I will go. Send me. If you don't send anyone else, send me. If nobody else answers the call, I will go. People say all the time, well, I'm not called to evangelism. You irritate me because you don't know the Bible. It's not a a specific call. It's a general call to all who call upon the name of the Lord. I read a quote before, and I want to read it, uh, by William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And he said, and if you know the Salvation Army, the history of it, not what it is now. Obviously, it's like, you know, there's a few good churches and stuff, but mostly it's, it's a collections bank where they collect food and they collect clothes and whatnot. But the found, the foundations, the, the way the Salvation Army was founded, it was a soul-winning mission. They weren't I'm not against handing out socks and clothes and painting houses and doing all the humanitarian works. I'm not against that. I think that the church should do that. I'm not against building hospitals. I'm not against building orphanages. One of the things that we're charged to do is to care for the orphan and the widow. I'm not against those things. However, that is not the primary task of the church. And whenever we start to adopt secondary and tertiary uh, tasks and functions and adopt them as number one function, we get, become confused. And that's where problems, strife, division, and div- and uh, schisms arise in the church. That's when things go bad. That's when the energy and the life force of the church pretty much drains out. That's when people start to go to gossip because they are not uh, they are not picking up and uh, dealing with the assignment, the main assignment that they've been given to deal with. So Salvation Army does that. But look at the foundation. Look at what the founder said, William Booth. He said this, Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you to go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear the burdened, agonizing heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wails for help. Go and stand by the gates of hell itself and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants not to come to the place of torment. I think it was C.T. Studd that said, some want to build their churches by a chapel's bell. I want to set up a rescue mission a yard from hell. Some want to build their churches in nice, beautiful, cute, suburbs of america where all his flowers and daisies tt stud said i'm gonna go to the place where i'm a yard away from this kingdom and the throne of hell itself and get people snatched out of the grip of the devil and into the kingdom of heaven for we are besides ourselves it is for god if we're a sound mind it's for you let me skip verse 14 for the love of christ compels us compels us pushes us to do it presses in us to act on this mission of soul winning because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again if you're just joining me now i'd be encouraged if you share share the broadcast and help me get the word out make this be the worst day the devil's ever had as people wake up to their god-given mission Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are past. Now everything becomes new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to write in the comment section, I have the the ministry of reconciliation. I have the ministry of reconciliation. You have been enlisted in the army of God if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I have the ministry of reconciliation. Well, I'm not in the ministry. Do I really have to win souls? You're, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 18 says you are in the ministry. Now, I'm not saying you're in the full-time ministry and you hold the position of an office of the ministry, but you are enlisted as a soldier in the army of God as a minister of reconciliation. And then, we're going to get into it. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we're ministers of reconciliation, and we have the word of reconciliation. What's the word of reconciliation? That God was in Christ Jesus telling the world to repent and believe so that they can be saved. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? He's a representative to bring the interests... Resources and agenda of a nation into another nation. Heaven has interests. Heaven has an agenda on the earth. And we know what that agenda is. Before you're going to ever want a soul win, you're going to have to find out what God's will is concerning souls to be won. Does God want everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Yes, we see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God, the Bible says in Ezekiel 18, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The Bible says in John three sixteen, God so loved the whole world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him should not perish. God's desire is not that men die in sin and perish and spend eternity in hell. His desire is to see men saved and come into a relationship with Him. The relationship that was severed and broken in Adam has been reconciled and re revived in Christ Jesus. The Bible says... In 2nd Peter 3 9 that God is not slow or slack concerning his promise of coming back again but he is being patient towards those who aren't saved that they should repent and get saved before it's eternally too late he's being patient towards us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance So any doctrine that tells you that God wills for some to be saved and others to to go to hell is a doctrine of demons that is trying to zap the the church, completely strip the church of a zeal for soul winning. Because if you don't even know if God wants the person to be saved, why are you even going to take a step in the direction of him getting saved? What are you going to do? You're just going to sit down in your living room and just pray, Lord, those who you want saved, get them saved today. In Jesus' name, we commit it into your hands and we trust that your will will be done. That's not the way Jesus told us to pray for the harvest. He didn't say, pray that the Lord of the harvest goes and gets people saved. He said, pray that the Lord of the harvest dispatches more harvesters into the fields. The Bible says, let me read this. First Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So you notice God did not plant and God did not water. God is in charge of opening the eyes of the blind. God is in charge of giving the increase. God is in charge. God's spirit is what regenerates are dead spirits and brings them alive in Christ Jesus. But there's the act of Paul who went about planting and the act of Apollos, the action, the responsibility Apollos felt to go around watering. If Paul really believed God is going to save who he wants saved and there's nothing we can do about it to save more or to save left, everyone that's appointed for eternal life is going to get saved. And uh, so I'm just going to stay in Jerusalem and just... You know, I, I saw a nice house, actually, right off the Sea of Galilee that I really like. And uh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move there and live off the rest of my days here on earth. Maybe even take up some carpentry or whatever. That's not what Paul taught. Paul, if you read 2 Corinthians 11, he went through hell and back to get the gospel into hearts of, to the hearts of men. The Bible says he was shipwrecked three times. He had every reason in the natural to say, you know what, this is too hard. There's too many obstacles. You know there are obstacles to evangelism? Paul's obstacles are way worse than the obstacles we face today in this modern era. This technologically advanced era. Paul had to go by mule back to Rome. Then go as a prisoner and take the boat where the mules couldn't take him. Paul had to brave the the desert that was infested with raiders and 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 bandits that would that would like ransack people on their journeys and rob them and thieves and robbers paul had to go through being whipped three times he received the 39 lashes there were times where he was naked there were times where he was at sea times in hunger times in thirstings times in fastings why did paul give himself so much to fasting and prayer and then being sent out by the Holy Ghost to go to what to the regions he was fasting and praying for, if it wasn't important for man to take up the turns of soul winning, that all we had to do was close our eyes and hold all night prayer meetings. Why did Paul go through that? Because he understood that unless there's a preacher, people are going to go to hell. Lester Sumrall had a vision when he was alive. Uh, he was still young in the ministry, and he saw an open vision, and he saw a conveyor belt. And on this conveyor belt, there was like uh, people from every nation of the earth. There was black people, there was white people, there was Asian people, there was uh, Native people, there was um, Mayans and, and Incas and, you know, people from from the untold regions of the earth, Tibetans and all kinds of peoples and and people groups and he saw them on this conveyor belt and they were just helpless as they were moving towards a cliff and as they fell over on that cliff there was a lake of fire that consumed those that fell into it and you can smell human flesh and he went and looked over and he he saw the the cries of lost and dying humanity as they were helplessly trying to reach out as the fire the lake of fire began to swallow them up And he cried out to God, God, make it stop. And as he cried out, blood began to gush out of his hands. And he didn't know what was going on. And he was terrified. He didn't know what he was seeing was a vision. He was terrified and said, Lord, stop it. Make it stop. And the Lord said, so shall I require at your hands the blood of all these people if you will not go their blood shall be required at your hands. Ezekiel 3, he didn't know was a verse in the Bible. Ezekiel 3 says, if if I tell you to go and warn the wicked and you don't go, the wicked will die in their sin and their blood will be required at your hand. If you go and warn the wicked and they don't repent, They'll still die in their sin, but at least you have freed and alleviated yourself from the blood of men. That's why Paul said, I am free from the blood of men. For I did not shrink in declaring to you the full counsel of God. I didn't shy away of talking about repentance. I didn't cower away in talking about sin. I dealt with the issue of sin. I dealt with the problems of sin. I dealt with the root of humanity's problems. It's not a weird quirk. It's not a habit, a bad habit we have. No, it is the poison and venom of hell that is in the bloodstream of all humankind and it took the sinless perfect without spot or wrinkle blood of Jesus Christ to wipe the guilt stain of sin away from humanity. I didn't shrink back from declaring to you that unless you repent you too will die. Jesus said on the the tower that fell in Siloam and it killed those 18 people. Do you suppose they were worse sinners than everyone else in Jerusalem? No. People always say, well, why do bad things happen to people? Is it because some sin more than others? No. Jesus said it's not because they were worse sinners. It's because they were sinners. And as such, they were under the curse. And he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's not that there are some, you know, there are sinners and then there's bad sinners. And then, you know, some sinners, they'll get to heaven through the skin of their teeth. And bad sinners, they're not going to make, no. We have all fallen short. We all are unworthy in the sight of God. And unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. The curse of sin is real, but much more real is the blessing that comes on you when you hand your life over to God and He gives you His righteousness. And He says, now you are a new creature. Your old things have passed away. All things have become new. Come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden by the burden of sin. I'm going to give you my yoke. It's easy and my burden its light and all things shall be made new I'll wipe away the tears sin has caused you to tear up and I'll give you joy unspeakable and full of glory hallelujah let me skip down to verse 12 now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone wood, hay, straw each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort or what kind it is. So what you do on earth matters. And the Bible says there's a day of fire coming. That's We're going to go and be tried by that fire. And some people are building lives off wood, hay, and and stubble. And as such, their work is going to be burnt up. That's why the Bible says he's going to have to wipe away every tear those are people in heaven that he says, I'm going to have to wipe away every tear. It's not, he's, he's not wiping away tears of joy. He's not wiping away tears of, uh, you know, I know how hard you had it here on earth and now you finally have my presence in fullness. No, he's not wiping away tears like that. He's wiping away the tears of the saints who are looking back on lost time that they had on earth. Only one life to live will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. One life to live will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And some men's work, they're going to look back and say, man, I spent 80 hours a week trying to build a small fortune on this earth, which in comparison to a square inch of the gold of heaven that the streets of heaven are paved with, it doesn't even compare. I wasted all that time building up a small fortune so I can live well and comfortably meanwhile i was ignoring eternity that's why paul admonishes the colossian church he says if you've been raised up with christ then ignore the things of this earth seek those things which are above where christ is seated at the right hand of the father be heavenly minded Well, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I can guarantee you that there's a lot of people that are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. That what a lie of the devil. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Did Paul say you should be earthly minded or did he say you should have the mind of Christ? And what was Christ's mind set on? The Bible says he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. To do what? To die and give his life for lost humanity. Luke 19.10 The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Each man's work will be de- will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. What kind it is. If any man's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. Yet he himself will be saved Yet so as through fire. You know what Paul's saying there? Imagine somebody's house is burning down and he bare, none of his possessions he is able to get out. He lost his passport. He lost his nice family pictures. He lost all of his precious possessions. That safe that had his money in it, the fire, the heat of the fire was too much for it. It burnt the safe up and all the money in it. Everything, his certificate of birth, everything was lost. But he was able to come out, smoke on him, maybe a little fire you have to pat out. His face blackened by the smoke of the fire. His clothes barely hanging on. He was saved, yet as through fire. The Bible says there's going to be people who they're going to lose everything they ever lived for. And they're Christians like this. The Bible talks about carnal Christians. They're not spiritually minded. Doesn't mean they're not saved. They believe on Jesus. They're going to make it to heaven. But they're carnal Christians. They're still... Dealing with the flesh, still dealing with their own ambitions. And the Bible says they're gonna be the ones where God's gonna wipe away their tears. But I want to show you before I go too long on this, sorry, an hour. I want to show you seven reasons why you must be a soul winner. Number one is sin is the problem, and the blood of Jesus is the cure. Romans three twenty three. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Why do we have to tell our neighbors about Jesus? Why should we share the gospel? Why should we be zealous for evangelism, like Paul says in Romans twelve? Fervent in spirit, zealous and serving the Lord. Why did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immo- immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always. Why did Paul say, I account my life as no count, dear to myself, so that I might preach this gospel and solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Why did he do all those things? Because he understood that our objective is not to caress or make people comfortable in their sin. There's a lot of people who are saved and when someone comes to them with a problem, you know what they do? You want a hug? That's not the love of God. The love of God isn't giving people hugs. Jesus didn't come to this earth to throw us a mattress and a crumb, few crumbs of bread so we can at least be comfortable in sin. Jesus came, hallelujah, to kill sin kill sin and the power of sin to destroy him who had the power of the devil to put away sin in the flesh the bible says that um we couldn't deal and put away sin in the flesh in that we were weak in the flesh but what we couldn't do jesus did jesus did so at the law of sin and death we would be freed from it and now be partakers of the law of li- the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We're not called to issue hugs out. Well come here, let me hug you. That's not the love of God being made manifest. In this was the love of God made manifest that he sent his only begotten son. I want to read a scripture. I believe it's in the book of Jude. This is off the cuff so I might be wrong. The book of Jude says this. But you, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying always in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. That's the love of God. Pulling people out of the fire of sin is a demonstration of the love of God towards mankind. So when Paul was saying the love of God compels me, he wasn't saying the love of God compels me to have worship nights as we sing over the city and play beautiful worship music and just declare that every principality in this region is being bound. That's not the love of God. The love of God is Acts chapter 8, Philip going down to the city of Samaria, preaching Christ to the people, and multitudes gave heed as they saw the miracles and healings taking place, and they were all filled with great joy, and great joy took over the city. That's the love of God. The Bible says very clearly, Jesus said, For this cause have I come. For this reason, was I born to tell people to repent and believe on the gospel? So the next time someone comes and says, you know, I'm struggling with this, bring them to the root of their struggles. It's sin in the flesh. The root of sickness is sin. The root of of, of, of oppression is sin. The root of poverty is sin. The root of affliction is sin. Everything can be traced back to sin. So instead of trying to beat around the bush, get to the, to the source of it all. And the Bible says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of which I am the chief. Number one, the sin is the problem. The blood of Jesus is the cure. Number two, hell is real. Reason why we should be soul winners is because there's a real hell to shun and a real heaven to gain. I want to read this. Luke chapter 16. Listen to this. Luke 16 and beginning with verse 19. So for people that say hell's not a real place, Jesus, this is not a parable Jesus is about to say because Jesus never used names, actual names in parables. He always referred to people uh, in a general sense. But here he's using a specific name. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up. He lifted up his eyes. And saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And please, allow me to be in Jesus' presence a little more. No. People always say, you know, the worst thing about hell is going to be eternal separation from God. That's not what the guy cried out for. First of all, if you are separated from God here on the earth, then what's the difference for if you have to spend eternity without Separate with with separation from God, separation from His presence. The worst thing about hell is not going to be separation from the presence of Jesus because people live their entire lives separate from the presence of Jesus. Unless you're saved, you're separate from Christ's presence. Separated. So he didn't cry out, Lord, just you know, allow me to feel that presence one more time, those goosebumps I felt in that service. No. He cried out and said, Send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Those were not figurative, mystical flames. Those were not metaphorical flames. Those were actual flames. That the Bible says it's a flame that never dies out. And there's also a worm that never dies. It's constantly eating away at their flesh. There is a cry in hell that I'm sure if Christians today... We're just here, we're just here for 15 minutes. If we were exposed to the anguish and cry of hell, begging, begging God to send an angel to dip the tip of their fingers in water so they can cool them, give them a second of relief in the anguish of hell. If we could just have a sound clip, a snippet, 30 seconds I'm sure would give us a zeal enough to run, to run, like that atheist in England and who criticized the church and he said, if you actually believe there's a hell and that people who don't repent will spend eternity there and you're still sitting on a church pew warming it up for Sunday. You're a twisted people. He said, I would, I would, if I believed in all that, I would cross all of England on my knees on shattered glass to get this message to just one soul. That's what he said. I would cross all of all of England on my knees on shattered glass to get the message to one soul. Dip your finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in torment in this flame. There's several cries in hell. One cry of hell is anguish, a cry of anguish, a cry of torment. Uh nail on the chalkboard Sound that would disturb the comfortable spirits of those sitting on church pews. Then, ver- moving on, Abraham said, "Son, res- remember that in your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, in your in torment. Besides all this, between us there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who who want to pass from here to you cannot." nor can those from there pass to us. There are a million ways into hell, and there is not one way out once you're there. The only exit that there is is shut the moment you die and you haven't repented. The only exit, the only door to escape hell is open as long as you're alive. Jesus said, I am that way. I am the truth. I am the life to, I am the way to God. Nobody can go to God except he comes through me. And that door gets shut the moment you die and don't repent. But if you live in repentance and faith towards God, that's the only escape there is from hell. There are a million ways into hell, but once you're in there, there is not one way out. There's no exit sign somewhere that you can look. You can look for all eternity and you'll never find it there. And then he said a second time, I beg you therefore, Father Abraham, send send him to my father's house. Send Lazarus to my father's house. Make him rise from the dead so he can go to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. If one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they do not hear Moses or the prophets, neither will they repent or be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So the second cry in hell is, God, if I won't leave, if there's no way out for me, at least send somebody. I can tell you, if there's any praying done in hell, those prayers are directed towards, obviously they're not honored, but those direct, those prayers are directed towards God so that he would mobilize people for the harvest, lest they should come to this place of torment. I read the quote before. Put your ear next to the gates of hell and hear the agonizing souls and cries of tormented souls day and night, bidding people to go and tell their brothers and their sisters, lest they should come to the place of torment. Hell is a real place. And it wasn't made for you. It was made for the devil and the third of the angels that fell with him. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Heaven was made for you. If it were not so, Jesus wouldn't have brought it up. But he said, I'm making a mansion for you with your name on it so that where I am, when I come again, I'm going to receive you to myself. Number three. And remember Revelation 20 says the books were open and every man's name or woman's name that was not found in the lamb's book of life was cast into a lake of fire. If you don't think hell is real, there was a book written not too long ago that talks about hell's a fictional place that it's not a real place by a pastor who talks about hell being a fictional place that God in his love would never send anybody there. God doesn't send men to hell. Men send themselves to hell when they hear the gospel and reject the hand of God's mercy and help. God doesn't say, why does God send people to hell? I could never love a God. God created man in free, freedom, having the, the ability to choose for themselves whom they will serve, whether of sin leading to death or righteousness leading to God and life. Man himself, we were born in sin. We deliberately sinned against God. Adam of his own will. God did not send an angel to pin him to the ground and then force feed him the apple or whatever fruit it was. Adam of his own volition and will ate of that. God had no obligation. People are saying, why does God send people to hell? God had absolutely no obligation to redeem man at that point. He had no obligation. He had no... um, Nothing holding him to it. He's the God. Nobody appointed him. He's the God of all heaven and earth. Nobody appointed him. Nobody elected him. He can't be impeached. He's unelected. He's the CEO of all things. Whatever, the Bible says he sits in the heavens and does whatsoever he pleases. And when he could have just said, you know what, you foul humans after everything I've done for you. I gave you every tree to eat of it, and yet you have to go to that tree. You know what? I'm gonna burn it all, and I'm gonna just, I'm gonna start brand new, create another species. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He had no obligation to save, but God demonstrated His love towards mankind that He sent Jesus Christ to die while we were still in sin. God doesn't send people to hell. God has done everything in His power to make sure you don't go there. Number three, reason why you should be a soul winner is... So number two is hell's a real place and you should not want people to go there. And if you really believe in the gospel, you have to believe in that part of the gospel and not ignore it and suppress the truth in unrighteousness and the unrighteousness being your refusal to preach this message. Number three, we are commanded... We're commanded. It's not the great option. It's not the great omission. It's the great commission. And God has not changed. That same proclamation is being issued out from the scriptures to this day Go ye therefore and preach this gospel. When God wanted to get the gospel into Cornelius' household, he didn't send an angel, he didn't send uh, an archangel. He didn't even say, Jesus, you know, I know that you're seated at my right hand at this point, but could you please, we have one more thing to do. I'd like the gospel to get to the Gentiles. If you can please get up and get back down to earth and t-. He didn't do that. Jesus did his job. He sat down. He's entered his rest. We are the body of Christ on the earth to fulfill the mission of what Christ came out and set out to do, which is world evangelization. So when Cornelius, when God wanted to get Cornelius saved, what did he do? He sent Peter. An angel came to him and said, he didn't, the angel didn't say, This is the gospel of salvation, that if you'll believe on the name of Jesus, you and your house shall be saved. He actually said, Go and fetch from my servant Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and your house can be saved. Tell you words. How many of you have heard that doctrine of devils, that stupid cliche that I've heard many preachers say? How many of you know where to preach the gospel and if necessary, where to use words? What? Did Jesus set up a hugging booth while he was in on the earth, traveling the seas of Galilee, the shores of the Sea of Galilee? Did he set up a hugging booth and people came and he said, this is the gospel? And he hugged them and kissed them and bid them farewell? No. Preaching is the forceful proclamation of the death, burial, ascension of Jesus Christ and his soon coming return preach the gospel if necessary. People are going to read you before they read anything you have to say. Obviously, fruit is important. You shouldn't be an arrogant jerk because then, yes, you're going to do a great disservice to the message you're speaking. However, if all you are is a good guy and expecting people to report, to repent based on your goodness, based on, you know, I've never seen that guy get angry. Man, that guy is such a loving guy. Every time I'm in need, he gives me a call Checks in, checks in on me. That's not the gospel. That's not the great commission. Man, that guy gives so much to charity. Man, there's something in me that, you know, I think I'm going to get right with God because of how much money that guy gives to charity. That doesn't happen. People get right with God. When Peter went, he opened his mouth and spoke. Jesus, they came to him from every direction. And he sat them on the mountain. And he opened his mouth and taught the multitudes. He said, If any man hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, he's like a fool who builds his house on the sand. The waters will come and wash it away. But whoever hears these words and does them, that man builds his house on the rock, and though he encounters trial and tribulation, he will overcome them all. We're commanded. Our generation of Christians is responsible for our generation of souls here on the earth. Every generation of Christians that rises up is responsible for the souls. David, when he had served his generation, we're not here to be served by our generation. We're not here to blend in with our culture. We're not here to just uh, you know, blend in until Jesus comes and then we're finally going to rise up and say, ha ha, we're actually children. No, we are here. To occupy until Jesus comes. We are here as ambassadors of heaven. What does an ambassador do? He ushers in the agenda of the nation he represents. We're here ambassadors of heaven. To bring in, to usher in the agenda of heaven. Which is to have all men saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. We're commanded. Number four. Understand reasons why you must be a soul winner. Number four. The work of the devil is destroyed when you soul win. You can't see humankind as um, just flesh and blood, and we're all just we're all just numbers. We're all just ponds in a system. We're all just, you know, temporal beings. No, every temporal flesh that you see behind it is an eternal soul that needs to be saved. And not only that. Even if people smile in your presence, you have to see that there's a broken heart behind every smile people try to maintain. When I prepare my messages to preach, I don't prepare them as if I'm talking to someone who has everything sorted out, everything's doing well, you know, they have a few things they have to work out, but ultimately they're on the right path. I prepare my message as though it's the last message I've ever preached, and then number two, I prepare it Knowing that on the third pew, or on the fourth pew, or there's at least one individual in my hearing, that unless God pulls through, the devil has oppressed to the point of crushing, and they're going to get crushed without any chance of survival. When I preach, when I tell people about Jesus, I'm not telling, you know, I tell them the message of the cross, knowing that I have what they want, and what they really want in life is what I have. That's where timidity comes from. You're not genuinely convinced that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so as a result, you're shy in your delivery of the gospel. You're timid in your approach uh, of uh, bringing Christ to somebody's attention. So you come in, you're trying to tippy-toe around the offensive things and whatnot. If I saw a Mack truck approaching an 18-wheeler and my child was in the middle of the road, do you think I would say, Judah... I'd love for you just to come to daddy. Come to daddy. And he's just laughing and, you know, kicking sand at me. And the truck is getting closer and closer. Judah, daddy wants you to come. Daddy needs you. There's a truck coming. Would you do that? No. You would, you would have a clarion call. You'd be like a trumpet. Judah! And not only that, you would run and grab him by the neck if, if need be. Even if it temporarily harms him, you're more concerned with him dying than you are with, you know, him maybe being bruised. That's why you'd grab him hard, and maybe you would have a bruise. Well, how'd you get that bruise? Be- obviously, I'm not admitting to child abuse. This has not happened, in case some of you are wondering. But what I am saying is, I wouldn't feel bad about the bruise. I wouldn't feel bad of the temporary offense that I've caused him, because I know that I've saved him from being crushed. Well, that's what people, when you understand, that there's more in it for people to hear the Gospel than there is in the offense of the Gospel, You're not going to shy away, you're going to move in and do everything in your power. The Bible says we are to compel them to come in. Anakazo is the Greek word. It means to forcefully push towards. It means to do everything in your power to make them come in. It means to do things even illegal if it means them coming in. That's what anakazo means. It's it's actually one of the root words of agonizing. We are agonizing for them to come in. When you see what the devil's done to our generation, where pharmaceutical industries are being rich, made rich and wealthy off the sufferings of mankind, there's going to be something produced in you that's not just going to have you sit by and say, well, you know, let's just pray that they come to the knowledge of No, there's going to be something new that's going to push you to action. When you see drug addicts come in, Something will rise in you and you actually see the torment they're feeling and you know have compassion from something will rise in you where you're not going to be content having them go another day like that. But you're going to fast and pray to secure power with God to set the captive free. That there'd be no demonic resistance that can get in your way. The work of the devil is destroyed through soul winning. People aren't helped haphazardly. God is not have a lottery system in heaven and then now serving Leonard Leonard Thomas, Leonard Thomas, if you can please come forward, I'm going to heal you today. No. Men are set free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The Bible says God bore witness to the the message of His grace, granting signs and wonders. God can only bear witness when the message of His word and His grace is declared. The Bible says very clearly in, uh, I think it's in the book of Corinthians. No, I don't think it's in the book of Corinthians. The Bible says very clearly, That men are delivered from the the power of darkness, Colossians 1.13, the power of darkness as they come into contact with the light of God's kingdom, which is the word of God. So they'll never be saved. If you're waiting for your cousin to be helped, if you're waiting for that coworker that's been confessing his depression to you to be helped without I mean the first thing the angels did when they came to the earth in declaring that Jesus was coming his first advent was what glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill and joy to all the world Jesus is the joy of the world if you don't share share Jesus someone else God will raise someone else hopefully to get the gospel to them but you're going to you're going to forfeit your reward number 5 reason you should be a soul winner is Jesus is coming back soon. The Bible says, as the Acts of the Apostles in Acts 1-8, as they were waiting and listening to Jesus speak, all of a sudden, gravity lost hold on Him, and He began to ascend into heaven. And they were straining their eyes as he a cloud received, them out of, received Him out of their sight. And two angels stood by them and said, Why are you straining your eyes looking up into heaven? The mission's no longer up there. The mission's here on earth. This same Jesus, whom you have seen, go and taken from you, will in like manner come back one day. Not a spiritual return. Jesus' physical body will return to the earth. And the Bible says there is going to be five foolish virgins and five wise virgins. The Bible says in Proverbs 11.30, He that wins souls is wise. So soul winning is actually a product of wisdom. And the Bible says the wise servants, the wise virgins... They had oil in their lampstands. And when the, the master returned, he looked to the five foolish and said, depart from me, I never knew you. But to the five that made sure that they were soul winning, that had oil in their lampstands, that made sure they were working while it is yet day, for nights coming when no man can work, that made sure, like the Bible says, blessed is that servant whom when his master will come, he will find soul working. Those five uh, w- wise virgins will enter into the, to the peace of God and the joy of God. Jesus is coming back soon. The Bible says in Matthew 24, when you see these signs happen, when you see these signs taking place on the earth, increased earthquakes, increased pestilences, new viruses, every single year almost. When you see these things happening, tribulation, famine, at an unprecedented level, there's more persecution going on on planet earth right now than there ever has been in all of history. When you hear rumors of wars, When you see, like, almost three world wars in the last hundred years, the Bible says you are to what? Take heed and don't let those things trouble you, for this gospel of the kingdom must be preached, and then the end shall come. Jesus is coming back soon, and he's not coming for a lazy, unprofitable church. He's coming back for a church that has picked up the mantle of God, taken up responsibility For that generation of souls to put their hand to the plow and never look at another direction. Number six, there's a tangible reward for those that are engaged in soul winning. There's a reward when you soul win. Did you know that? Jesus said in John 4, He that reaps souls receives wages and gathers fruit for life eternal. There's profit in soul winning. Jesus sent his 12 out and then his 70 out. And then in Luke 22, he says, when I sent you out to win souls, did you lack anything? They said, no, we never lacked anything. When the Lord is your shepherd, you will not not lack anything. And he's the shepherd who's after the one. So you can tell when Jesus is truly your shepherd if you're where he is. And he's in the harvest field. When you follow Jesus into the harvest field, that's when you're hearing his voice and you're following his voice. And His voice always leads you to win more souls. And when that happens, Psalm 23, the Bible says you will not lack anything. You're not going to lack peace. You're not going to lack blessing. You're not going to lack finances. You're not going to lack joy. You're not going to lack health. You're not going to lack strength. You're not going to lack power. You're not going to lack miracles. You're not going to lack signs and wonders. You will not lack. Your hands will never run dry as you engage in what matters most to God. The Bible says very clearly, Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work shall always be rewarded. Number seven, and lastly, and this is important, especially in a day where there's antidepressants all over the place. America is the most medicated on antidepressants. And the church is probably not any different. I bet you there's just as much antidepressants prescriptions in the church than there is in the world and that ought not to be so any pastor any minister that i've ever seen that is um depressed suicidal or whatnot i've always noticed any minister that's that's struggling strong with depression i've always noticed soul winning is not a is not even a thought in their minds soul winning i'm not i'm not talking about you know Once a year, I lead someone to Christ. No, I'm talking about like immersed in the harvest field. I'm talking about there's some churches they don't even, you'd have to look back in their archives, 1978, to see the last altar call they've ever given. How can you go a whole church service, glorifying Jesus, have people in that service who don't know the God of the Bible and not give them an, an invitation? If you're not inviting people, what are you doing? Jesus said, he sent out his servants in, into the, uh, the cities and villages, sent them out with an invitation saying, all things are ready. Come and dine, the master calleth. What are you going to do? You're, you're an unfaithful messenger if you don't give an invitation. It's an, uh, an incomplete gospel. If the gospel does not include an invitation. What are you set up for? You know the Bible says in Psalm 28 verse 5, Because they did not regard the operation of my hands, nor did they concern themselves with my work, I I will destroy them and I will not build them up. When you as a church abandon evangelism, you have forfeited your biblical right to exist. If you do not engage in evangelism, if you do not uh, preoccupy yourself with projects of evangelism as a church, as a minister, you have forfeited your biblical right to exist. The Bible says, well, it's not about numbers, brother. Really? It's not about numbers? Why did, G- why did God write a whole book called Numbers if it's not about numbers? If it's not about numbers, why is God obsessed in the book of Acts, with detailing how many people were saved that day—three thousand, then two thousand, then five thousand. Why is God? The Bible says uh, numbers the hairs on our head. If he's not, if he has no concern for numbers, God is concerned with numbers. You want to know why? Not for the sake of having more numbers. It's for the sake of that. If there's more numbers, and logically, there's more people that are going to make heaven. And in the multitude of people is a king's honor. I pray in the name of Jesus that through this broadcast, God is going to empower you and mobilize you. That the next time you show up at church within a month's time, you'll be able to point back to four rows of pews of people that you've led to Jesus Christ. Within one year's time, I pray in Jesus' name, a grace will come on you to empower you for evangelism, that you'll be able to look back to four pews, four rows, and say that those are all families that have come into the kingdom through my preaching. And not as a badge of honor, not as a badge of spiritual arrogance. I'm talking about as that will encourage others in your church to see that it's not impossible if you evangelize in your own power, it'll be impossible. But if you evangelize in the power of his might, it's the easiest thing. I have never struggled seeing people saved. Not because I'm some great preacher. Not because I'm some uh, you know, intellectually witty guy and I know how to structure a sermon. No, it has nothing to do with that. Because I've seen people who can preach a thousand times better than I, and they don't get anybody saved. But then I've seen people who can preach a thousand times worse than I. Very simple. But they get, they get even more people than I save. I mean, you study Billy Graham. He was a good preacher, but he was by no means the best preacher in his generation. He was an excellent preacher, but he was a very simple preacher. He stuck to the simple message of the cross. And look at what that simple message produced. If you make the gospel profound and some complicated thing, you will have very simple uh, results. But if you make the gospel simple, you will have profound results. God is raising you up. He is awakening the sleeper cells in the church to rise up in this last day and time and mobilize them as the army of God here on the earth to have the biggest harvest of souls. God is not interested in little tractors anymore. God is not interested in tiny little lawnmowers mowing the lawn. No, God is raising up compound harvest, harvesters, to bring in, the time is at hand. The hour is now late. Hell is too hot. Heaven is too real. Time is too short. And the gospel is too needed for us to just ignore the needs of humanity. God is raising you up. To push back the forces of darkness. First in your family. Then in your community. Then in your your workplace. Then in your region. Let's stop crying out for the Elijah's of God. I mean the God of Elijah. I'm crying out that God is going to raise up Elijah's. In this present day and age. Who will turn the hearts of this wicked and perverse generation back to the Lord. Their God. Before it's eternally too late. Well, I don't know how to speak. I'm not really that good of an articulator. Like, I really can't articulate my words. I can barely f- speak for free. How am I going to speak publicly? It doesn't matter what you feel right now. It doesn't matter how you are right now. It doesn't matter your abilities. The Bible says the power of Christ will actually make up for your lack and insufficiency and weaknesses. And you'll see, when you start to operate in in this anointing, it's addictive. It's addictive. When you start seeing people's lives transform, it's addictive. And I was, I don't even know why I didn't get to the last point. The last point was um, soul winning will secure supernatural joy for you at all times. At all times. So, like I said before, a lot of ministers that are struggling, with depression and like ma- bad depression, a lot of them you can see, they don't, they don't, they're not concerned with the work of evangelism. You know why I know? Joy comes to soul winners because the Bible says when you bring a sinner to repentance, all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that repents. And the Bible says it's a, it's a spiritual law. Whatever you water, you will be watered with in return. Whoever you water, he that waters others shall himself be watered. When you water heaven with joy by winning souls, God and the Spirit of God will water you and allow you to be a partaker of that heavenly joy. That's why when I do evangelism and I see hundreds of people getting saved in a given night, I I remember in Peru, we saw 1,500 people saved in three nights. Do you know what that did for me? You could have told me the worst news ever, and I would have still smiled and laughed. I was so happy. because of mass conversions. I was so happy seeing people's lives turned around, people's bodies healed, blind eyes I was so happy with people's eternal destinies being ch- changed in, in the twinkling of an eye. I was like bubbling. It was a joy inexpressible and full of glory. You want joy? Get busy winning souls. You want joy? There's nothing that you pour out into another soul that God won't pour out into your heart. You're sick in your body? Preach healing to those that are sick. Lay hands on the sick. See them recover. And you'll see, just like in any pipe, like my faucet, when I turn the faucet on, the faucet, the spout of that faucet gets the taste of the water before I do. You're a faucet for God. When you turn the faucet on and begin to share this gospel with others, you get the taste of the goodness of God first as you pour it out into others. You're in need of of breakthrough in an area? Preach the gospel. You're going to see the same gospel that's going to set the person you're, you're preaching to free. You're going to taste and see first and foremost. I mean, it's just logic. My cup doesn't get the taste of the water first. It's the spout. It's the pipeline. And ye are vessels of honor for God. And that treasure is in you. As you release it by preaching the gospel, the benefits of that treasure begin to spring out into your life. I see that happening to you today in Jesus' name. Every form of depression is cured in Jesus' name. Every marital stress is alleviated in Jesus' name. You'll see if you'll go out and try and help other people's marriages by gluing them together the glue of the gospel you'll see your marriage God will supernaturally whatever you work on for others God will work on for you hallelujah because the scripture says whatever a good a man does to another that same shall he receive from the Lord I hope today equipped you seven reasons why you must be a soul winner I hope this equipped you and um, I'd encourage you to share it if you're just joining us now and share it watch it again take notes Because this is what's going to motivate you and put a fire in you to not sit on your behind, but actually go out and, you know, set aside, schedule time to win the loss. Some people schedule their dance recitals. They schedule their children's hockey games. They schedule, um, they even schedule their Netflix hours. They schedule their gym time. They schedule prayer time. They schedule reading time. Schedule soul winning time. If your church has soul-winning projects, outreaches, don't just give financially to it. Get involved in it. Avail of yourself, of the resources and talents you have. There's nothing God has called you to do that can't connect you to the work of of, of soul-winning. There's nothing. If you're an accountant, there's accountants needed in the church. You can avail of your services in that area. The anointing isn't just for the the apostle and pastor and preacher. The anointing can work through you, can flow through you. I can't go to where you go to work. I can't can't invade your school. Matter of fact, in most schools, I can't even get into in Canada because they won't let any gospel be uh, preached on, on, on a school platform. But you can. And that uh, same anointing that flows through me, the same anointing that flows through Reinhard Bonnke, that drew multitudes as as he proclaimed the good news of salvation. As you are faithful in speaking his word, have confidence that the seed implanted will produce. So shall my word be. You don't have to help the gospel. The gospel in and of itself, is enough to see people saved and transformed. If you're watching right now and you're not saved yourself, I want you to make today be the day where you settle that for yourself. That God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to heaven. If you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, that's not a... How do you sleep at night? The, I mean, I told you. The return of Jesus Christ, the last prophecy that there was to be fulfilled before Christ could return was um, in Matthew 24, when you see the fig tree bud again, which is Israel reborn as a nation, which happened May 14, 19, uh, 1948. When you see that happen, that generation that lives and sees that happen will never pass away until everything else comes to pass, the return of Christ. Well, we saw that. I didn't see it physically, but I can read about it. 1948, Israel was born again as a nation, born again, born, re-emerged as a nation. And that was the last thing that Jesus said would happen before His return came. That happened. So there's nothing stopping it. Every scripture, every prophecy has been fulfilled to the T. So there's no, there shouldn't be a question mark with regards to your salvation. You can know. These things have been written so that you know that you have everlasting life. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. You'll be loyal to one and hate the other. Quit serving the devil. Quit serving money. Quit serving the cares of this life. Quit serving your sin. Quit serving the chains that have bound you which have led to further bondage, peril, despair, sorrow. Many sorrows, the Bible says, shall come to those that hasten after other gods. But the Bible says, to those who call on me, I'll make no distinction. I'll be rich to save all those who trust in my name, and they shall never be ashamed. Look to Jesus today and escape the fire of hell. Heaven was made for you. I bid you, oh oh man or oh woman, look and live. Let your sins be forgiven. This isn't something you should do. This is something you have to do right now. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Christ from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, unto the glory of God the Father. I turn to you. Forgive me of my sin. Let all things pass away and everything become new. I'm a new creature. Heaven is my home. And I'm never turning back. Never, ever, ever. I'm moving forward and upward with Jesus from today. Amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji Or visit us online www.salvationnow.ca God bless you and until next time.